0: Well, today I want to continue with the theme of fruits of the Spirit. I'm going to focus on this third one here, and that is peace. Before we do that, I want to just review the fruits of the Spirit. So uh, Galatians 5, through 23. Hopefully by the time we go through these nine messages, we're going to know these by heart. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Temperance, by the way, is self-control. Against such... There is no law. Now, I've already mentioned this in previous messages, but for me, this is one of the most important passages we really find in all of Scripture. Joshua, Matthew 23, spoke about the weightier matters. And, you know, it's so important to realize the importance of the weightier matters. I believe that what we find here are the weightier matters, the fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, the peace, long-suffering, so on and so forth, are the weightier matters. In Matthew 5, Yashua told the crowd that we had to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees if we would be found worthy of the kingdom. So how do we do this? Or is this is something I've asked with the other two messages. How do we exceed their righteousness? Or we must learn, I believe, to apply and live by the fruits we find within this passage. You know, as I've mentioned, nobody can out-Pharisee a Pharisee. Nobody can obey the commandments better than the Pharisees and the scribes did. I mean, they had everything down to a T. But here we find that we have to go beyond that. That's what Yashua said. So I want to focus today on peace. And to begin with, I'd like to define this word, what does it mean? So the Hebrew, something we should all be familiar with, by the way, shalom. Shalom. Shalom is peace. So seventy-nine, sixty-five in the Old Testament, and it means safe from and strongs, and it's to affirmatively well, happy, friendly. Also abstractly, welfare, that is, health, prosperity, or peace. So that is how strong defines it. Shalom, peace. Irene is the Greek word, and it means to join. Peace, literally or figuratively, by implication, prosperity. So we find a few things in common here. We find that both words, shalom and Irene, refer to this concept of prosperity. Now, we know that. How do we receive prosperity, by the way? We receive prosperity when we follow the word of our Father in heaven. That's how we receive prosperity. And also, this concept of being uh, happy or to join. And that's another important concept we find with these words. Now, the definitions I want to focus on today is the peace between man and the peace we find through us. So, as a matter of fact, we actually see some of this more. And this is the Thayer's Greek lexicon irani again in the Greek. And um, it refers to a state of national tranquility, exemption from the rage and havoc of war. So, that's one meaning of Irene, which would be the counterpart to Shalom. Number two, peace between individuals, that is harmony or concord. So I want to focus on that today. Uh, three, security, safety, prosperity, facility, because peace and harmony make and keep things safe and prosperous. Number four, use of the Messiah's peace, the way that leads to peace and salvation. I want to really also focus on that one as well today. And at number five, the tranquil state of soul, assured of his salvation through Messiah, so fearing nothing and we're going to talk more about that as well. Fearing nothing from Elohim and content with this earthly, earthly lot. You know, this last one here is so important for me, because it, it, it conveys this concept, as we saw with the joy. Because one of the things we learned about joy in the last message is that it's not based on condition. It's not based on circumstance, right? It's based on this inner peace that we have or this inner joy that we have through our Father in heaven. We see the same thing with peace, now, again, like I said, I want to focus on the two references, peace between men and also peace we find through Messiah. So we're going to see both examples of that in this message. And I want to begin by sharing something Yashua said in Matthew 5. This is the Beatitudes, one of the most important passages, again, we find in Scripture. You know, I think I say that a lot, by the way, the most important passages. I guess there's a lot of important passages in Scripture, and this is certainly one of them. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 through 9. It says, Blessed are the meek or humbled for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see Elohim. And it ends here by saying, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the happy, by the way. That's what blessed means, for those who may not know. It means happy. Happy are those. Happy are those peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of the of Elohim. Now, again, this passage is known as the Beatitudes. It represents those attitudes or characteristics that we as believers should have. And because of this, I want to review more than just what we find here with peacemakers. I want to see the other attributes we, we find in this passage. And I want to begin with the first one, and that is humbled or humility, meekness. You know, Moses, Moses, we all know Moses, Moses is a great example of a man who was humbled. We know that he was not chosen because he was a strong or charismatic man or leader. Matter of fact, we don't see that. We see a man that was apprehensive, um, wanted to get out of the commission that he was given. Moses was chosen because of one attribute, I believe, and that was he was humbled. He was meek. In fact, the Bible says that Moses was more meek than any other man. That's the verbiage the King James uses. It says that he was more meek, that he was more humbled than any other man. You know, we see in scripture that humility is one of the most important attributes for our Father in heaven. He really wants us to be humbled. You know, without humility, the truth is Yahweh can't work with us. And I think it would be hard pressed to find a very prideful person within the kingdom. You know, a person of pride is like a hard clump of clay. You ever try to do anything with a hard clump of clay? You can't do much with it. You can't mold it. You can't work with it. It's really of no value. But a person of humility is like a soft clump of clay. You can take that clay, you can mold it, you can do whatever you need to do with it so that it produces something of value. Well, it's the same thing Yahweh wants. He wants somebody of value. And if we're going to be of value to our Father in heaven, we must be like that soft lump of clay. Now, what is a promise here for being humbled Yahshua said here that the meek shall inherit the earth, shall inherit the earth. This is referring to the prize or the promise of eternal life within our Father's kingdom. We know that, by the way, it says in Revelation that the saints are going to dwell on earth. We see the same thing here, that they're going to receive the earth, because that's where Yahweh's kingdom is coming to this earth. Now, it also says here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And I believe this is referring to those who have a desire, a zeal, a passion, for the truth. And you know, I know many people within the assembly here and abroad who have this sense of eagerness, this uh, desire to understand the truth, and more importantly, to do what is right. And that's a, such an important attribute characteristic to have as believers, to have this inward zeal, not only to understand Yahweh's truth, but also to apply it and to live it. And again, I see people in this assembly, you know, certainly not in this assembly locally, and those who would join us from afar. You know, whether it be through the broadcast. You know, for those who do this, Yahweh, again, provides a promise here through his son. He says there that they shall be filled. Now, again, I think this is a reference to the kingdom. They're going to be filled through the kingdom, through their zeal, through their passion, through their desire to serve the word, to serve the father. We see here that they're going to receive the kingdom. Now, he also says here, Yahshua, blessed are the merciful. Merciful is the same thing as being compassionate. You know, as believers, we can either be judgmental or we can be merciful, compassionate, but we can't be both. You know, we see here that there's special blessings upon those who show mercy. There's special blessings upon those who show kindness, who who show sympathy. You know, for those who show mercy, he says here that they will receive mercy. This reminds me of what Yahshua said about forgiveness in his model prayer. He said there that if if we're not willing to forgive others, that our Father in heaven will not forgive us of our sins, of our transgressions, of those things we've done wrong. And that's one reason why it's so important that we be people of mercy, that we be people of compassion, that we be people who are willing to forgive even our enemies, we'll see. So we see here that forgiveness or mercy is reciprocal. to, To receive it, we must be willing to show it. Now, he goes on to say this, blessed are the pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? I'd like to share a note here from the Barnes Notes. Here's how it defines pure in heart. It says, whose minds, motives, and principles are pure, who seek not only to have the external actions correct, so what we do from the outside, but also desire to be holy in heart, and who are so. You know, in short, being pure in heart means that we do what is right. Not because we must, not because we have to, but because we want to. And again, it's a change that is inside, as we see here. It's not only external. You know, I've seen some fairly miserable people that externally do what is right. Does that make sense? But internally, they just don't have the attributes we find here. So I really like how Barnes Notes defines that. For those who are pure in heart, it says here they shall see Elohim. Again, a promise to the resurrection, a promise to the kingdom. Now, in closing, Yahshua said this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. So what is a peacemaker? What is a peacemaker? What what would this include? Well, this is a person who desires to see harmony, unity within the body Messiah. This is a person who looks for the positive and not the negative. This is a person who doesn't hold grudges, but who willingly forgets. This is a person who uses love and diplomacy and not aggression or strife. This is a person who goes all the way and goes out of their way to bring shalom to the assembly, to the brethren. You know, for those who pursue peace, Yashua said here, that they shall be called the sons or children of Elohim. Again, this refers to the promise of the resurrection eternal life within the kingdom. So based on this promise, how important is it that we strive to be people of peace, that we be peacemakers? Well, I guess it depends on how much you desire to be a son or daughter of Elohim. If you desire to be a son or daughter of Elohim, I would say it's pretty important that we be a peacemaker, that we... Do those things that generate shalom and not conflict or strife. In fact, this is a message we find in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, verse 14, it says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see Yahweh. So we're told here to do two things, to follow peace and also to follow holiness Now, the word peace here is the same Greek word that we defined earlier, that's irene, and again, it means to have harmony or concord with others. The word holiness comes from the Greek hagiosmos, according to Strong's, means purification, that is, a state of purity. Now, according to Yahweh's word, how does a person remain pure? How does a person remain in a state of purity? Pretty simple. They simply obey the commandments. They, they follow Yahweh. They follow his word. They do it his way, not their own way. Now, how important is it that we follow peace with all men and live a life of holiness as we're told to here? Or Yahweh says, without these things, we will not see him. I'm going to just pause for just a moment. Let that settle in. Without doing these things, We're not going to see him. So I ask you again, how important is it? How important is it that we be people of peace and also people who strive to live a life of holiness? Well, if we desire to see Yahweh, if we desire salvation, if we desire the kingdom, this is a must. It's pretty important that we strive to be people of peace and to live of holiness. Now, what are some of the examples that I gave earlier? I want to just go through those one more time. So what does it mean to be a person of peace? Or again, this is a person who looks for the positive, not the negative. This is a person who looks for shalom within the assembly, ways to promote shalom and and peace within the assembly. This is a person who doesn't hold grudges, who doesn't have animosity, but one who forgives. This is a person who uses love and diplomacy and also not showing aggression or strife. This is also a person who goes out of their way to bring, again, shalom to those here, to those in the assembly. You know, these are the attributes that comes to my mind when thinking about a person of peace. I'm sure there's other ways you can define this, other ways you can define what it is to be a person of peace, but this is what I think of. You know, for a moment, I want you to think about these characteristics and ask yourself, how do I measure up? So think about those things we've talked about, just for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, how do I measure up? Am I a person of peace? Would I be considered a peacemaker? The scripture says that we must be peacemakers. You know, if we find that we're falling short on one or more of these characteristics, don't be too concerned yet. You see, because we all have an opportunity to grow. And the fact is, you know, having this form of peace, being a person of peace, is not an easy thing to do. You know, it's like being a person of love or being a person of joy. It really, the concepts are very simple. But doing this is very hard. You know, it's one of those things that's very easy to understand. It's very hard to master and this is true here with peace. As believers, though, we should be continually and, I would say, even relentlessly striving to change and better ourselves. You know, one of the things I often say is the only constant of a believer is change. Because if we never change and if we just sort of stay where we're at and we never mature, we're never going to be found worthy. You know, when it comes to the elect, Yahweh is looking for the cream of the crop. And for this reason, medi- mediocrity will not be enough. Mediocrity will not be enough. You know, being average in the eyes of our Father in Heaven, when it comes to morality, when it comes to living a life of holiness, or living a life of righteousness, will not be enough. Mediocrity, when it comes to righteousness, is not enough. What do you suppose Joshua talks so much about the inward man? You see, he realized that, that without the change of who we are in the inside, that we would not be found worthy of this promise. Now, Peter, in 1 Peter 3, verse 9, also speaks about peace and and holiness and and the such. And 1 Peter 3, 9 through 11 says, Not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but a blessing. So you see, instead of rendering evil, he says you you render a blessing instead. Knowing that you are there unto, unto called, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. And his lips, that they speak no guile or no lies or deceit. That's what it means. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. So Peter begins here by saying that we should not render evil for evil. You know, when he's speaking about evil here, he's referring to revenge. Revenge. You know, as a disciple of the Messiah, we should never be vengeful. We should never be bitter. But we should, again, show forgiveness, show compassion. Again, Peter says here that we should show blessing. And that's really what he's conveying here. You know, I really hope that we're listening to these messages on the fruits of the Spirit, that we're taking this in, because this is graduate level. I mean, these are the things that will get us to the finish line. You know, when we keep the Sabbath and the other things, those things are great. But, but to get to the finish line, I really do believe we need to change who we are on the inside. You know, consider the love, unity, and peace of mind that we would have within the assembly and within our own relationships if we would adapt and learn and apply what we find within these passages. You know, realize that what we're talking about here is not trivial. It is an essential part of what it means to be a believer in the Messiah, to understand what it is, again, to live a life of holiness and righteousness and of peace. If keeping the Sabbath and other like commandments were enough, the scribes and Pharisees again would have been found worthy long ago. But they weren't, and we know they weren't. Yahshua said they weren't. Yahshua said again that we must exceed their righteousness, meaning that they weren't found worthy. They fell miserably short. You know, as a minister and pastor, I care about the people here. I care about those abroad, those watching online. You know, I want to see us all succeed and to become better disciples of the one we worship, and I really do. I want us to see all of us grow, all of us to become better people, better disciples, better believers in the Messiah. And the only way of achieving this is by changing who we are in the inside. Learning to be someone different, learning to be a person more of love and joy and peace and, again, the other fruits we find here. You know, Peter closes here by saying that we should seek peace and ensue it. Now, the word ensue is Old English, and it means to pursue. Pursue. So we're told to pursue peace you know, we're as believers. We're to actively and relentlessly pursue peace, shalom, within the body of Messiah. You know, Paul in Romans 17 or 12 or 17 provides a similar message to what we find here from Peter. He begins ever saying, matter of fact, the beginning is almost verbatim. It says, "Recompense no man evil for evil." So that's how Paul begins here. He says, "Provide things honest in the sight of all men." If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. In other words, don't show revenge, don't retaliate, but rather give place unto wrath, for it a written vengeance is mine. I will repay, said Yahweh. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him to drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. Now, in the previous passage, Peter began by saying, not rendering evil for evil. Paul says something very similar here. He says that we should not recompense evil for evil. Again, this refers to revenge, trying to get even with someone who's done us wrong in some way. So as we see here, and as we saw from Peter, revenge is, or retribution is not something we should pursue or really even allow within our hearts. You know, some believers, and or some people, many people, they, they have this, this vengeance, these grudge that they hold. And we're not to do that. Instead, Paul says here that we should try to live peaceably with all men. So how do we live peaceably? How do we do this? where it begins, as we've already talked about, when we don't seek out revenge, when we don't retaliate. When we're not aggression, aggressive, beyond this, we also must show forgiveness and compassion. Now I will say this: living peaceably does not mean that we need, or should, have a relationship with all people. That's not what Paul's saying here. When Paul says that we should live peaceably, he's not saying to accept everybody and everything. For example, when it comes to people living in a state of sin, willfully, unless they're looking to repent, we should abstain from that from that relationship now according to Paul revenge belongs to who revenge belongs to who or belongs to Yahweh you see Yahweh through Yahshua will judge mankind and for those who lived a life of sin they're gonna have to pay for that sin in fact in Revelation 20 verse 12 Yahshua says there that we're gonna be judged by our works You know, it's amazing how many people can read that passage. You know, it's it's so clear. You know, we're going to be judged based on what we did, how we lived. And yet, so many people, they say, well, you can't earn your salvation. Well, you know, we can't earn our redemption. That's true. And And I'm a full believer in that. But we can certainly lose our salvation if we live a life of sin and rebellion to our Father in heaven. Paul closes here by admonishing us to do good to our enemy. For example, he says that if an enemy is hungry, give him something to eat, feed him. By doing this, he says that we're going to heap coals of fire on his head. Now, what does that mean? I want to spend a few moments looking at this phrase, heap coals of fire on his head. There's debate as to what this means. Some say it's something negative. Some say it's something positive. I generally look at this as something more positive. So I want to share with you two commentaries which I believe explains this well. The first one is from the Jameson, Foster, and Brown commentary. It says the sense of this clause is much disputed in Jerome's time and by the Greek interpreters it was generally understood in the unfavorable sense of aggravating or enemy's guilt. In other words, again, it's just almost like retribution or revenge. Modern interpreters take the expression in the good sense in which now it is almost universally quoted, namely, that by returning good... For our enemy's evil, we may expect at length to subdue and overpower him as burning coals, consume all that is inflammable into shame and repentance. So you see, that's the purpose. The purpose of those coals is to burn that person so that they would repent and come to repentance into Yahweh's word. Now, another good quote, good source, is Barnes Notes. Here's what it says. Coals of fire, doubtless, emblematical of pain. But the ideal he has not that in so doing we shall... Call down divine vengeance. So again, it's not about vengeance, it's not retribution, says on the man. But the apostle speaking of the natural effect or result of showing him kindness. So you see, Paul says that we should talk again blessing. Blessing. Kindness. Says so burning coals heaped on a man's head would be expressive of intense agony, that the burning. So the apostle says that the effect of doing good to an enemy would be to produce pain. But listen. There's a reason and purpose for the pain. It says that well, the pain will result into shame, remorse of conscience, a conviction of the evil of his conduct, and an apprehension of divine displeasure that may lead to repentance. So you see there's a reason, again, for that pain, for that burning. To do this is not only perfectly right, but it is desirable. If a man can be brought to reflection of true repentance it should be done. So in other words, if we can do something to help a person realize their error and to come to Yahweh, we should do it. Close this here with saying in regards to this passage, we may remark that the way to promote peace is to do good even to our enemies. So as we see here, Paul is not using this phrase in a vengeful way. This is not a way to get retribution for some wrong that's been committed against us. By heaping coals on the heads of our enemies is to show forgiveness, to show compassion, so that that forgiveness and compassion may burn within them, hoping that it will bring forth repentance, that they will self-reflect. And part of the way we do this is by showing peace, That's part of the way we accomplish this goal is to show peace and even to our enemies, as we find here. Now, Paul in Philippians 4, verse 6 speaks about peace. Matter of fact, he says, a peace that passes all understanding. It sounds like a pretty good peace to me. So Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be uh, be made known unto Elohim. And the peace of Yahweh, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Messiah Yahshua. So what is this peace? And how do we achieve this peace that passes all understanding? Doesn't that sound like a great thing to you? A peace that passes all understanding? It does to me. You know, this passage, uh, Paul mentions a few things. Number one, he says, be careful for Nothing. What does this mean, be careful for nothing? I actually like how the NIV renders this. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. How often do we allow life to cause us to worry, to cause us to stress, to cause us to fear of some sort of result that may happen? You know, I'm sure there's been times in your life, and I know there's been times in mine, when I've allowed worry or fear to take away my peace. How often does that happen? Number two, Paul says it in everything in prayer, by prayer and supplication. You know, sometimes the greatest peace of mind is gained by by prayer and simply having faith in our Father in heaven. You know, this is how I believe we achieve this peace that passes all understanding. Well, this sounds simple. There's nothing simple about it, though. And that's the fact. There's nothing simple about it. You know, for many of us, it's hard Not to worry about life. Worry about when things happen. Worry about when relationships uh, are are in some sort of, you know, negative, negative. It's hard. It's hard for us to sometimes go to Yahweh and pray to remember to do that. But if we desire this level of peace, I believe that we must strive to do this. That we, again, must learn not to fear that we must learn not to allow anxiety to, to remove our peace. And again, I think it happens to all of us. I, I, it would be hard-pressed to find a certain single person who could honestly say that life and the fear and the anxiety and the worry that life brings doesn't remove or diminish or take away our peace. You know, we're all guilty of this. It's a hard thing to do. I want to leave you with uh, three things, three things on how to achieve peace. So three things. The first one is being content. So we're going to have three more passages here. first one is being content. We see an example in Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul there is speaking. He's writing to the Philippians. And he says this, Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased. In other words, I know how to to be lowered, to be humbled. And I know how to abound, to have plenty. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Messiah, which strengthens me. So what message do we find here from the Apostle Paul? We see... That Paul was content, and he was content no matter what situation he was in. He was content if life was going good, and he was content if life was was going bad. He was content if, 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 if he was being blessed, and he was content if he was going through trials or tribulation. Paul was content. Now, what was the secret to Paul's contentment? For he says here that he could do all things through Messiah that strengthened him. This is where he found his strength. This is why and how Paul could be content in no matter what situation, no matter what hardship, no matter what tribulation he was going through. Because he realized and he recognized the strength he found through Messiah. So how do we find strength in Messiah? What What does that mean? Or, you know, I think of a few things. Here, here's what I think of. Here's what I think of. You know, we do this by remembering that Yasra died for us, that he atoned for our sins. We do this by realizing that through him, we now have the promise of a greater life ahead. And we do this by remembering that he suffered in all points as we do, yet without sin. And by so doing, he also set an example for us to follow. In short, we do this by realizing that this life is vain and fleeting and that through him we have a better promise. I think that's how we do this. We do this by putting life into perspective and realizing that no matter what we have uh, uh, occurring or happening, that there's something better waiting for us in the future. Now, what about us? Are we content with the life we have? Or do we find ourselves stressing about issues? Do we find ourselves wanting things we don't have, not being content with what Yahweh's given us? Do we allow the trivial concerns of life to take away our peace? If we do, we'll never find that peace or shalom that passes all understanding, as we found earlier. As Paul did, we must learn to be content in whatever situation we're in. And that's a really hard thing to do. That's a really hard thing to do, to be content. To go through life, no matter what it is, and to have this satisfaction in Yahweh, through Yahshua. You know, as I mentioned in my last message, joy is a sense of happiness or gladness, but not based on circumstance or condition. You see, we're not joyful because, because good things are happening. We're joyful because it is a relationship we have with Yahweh, and it is this inward elation that we have through Him. Where peace is no different. Peace is this inward, this inward, this inward sense of satisfaction that we find again through Yahshua, as we find here from Paul. Now, another way of achieving peace is through trust or faith in Yahweh. We see an example in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, trust in Yahweh with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. That's from the NIV. So this is an important passage. We see here the word of trust in Yahweh, and we also see here the word not to lean on our own understanding. As it says, two lessons. The first one is trusting. We're having faith. Now, we might believe that we have a strong faith in the one we worship, but do we? Do we have a strong faith in the one we worship? You know, while life becomes hard, when life becomes challenging, facing serious issues, do we find ourselves trusting in Yahweh? Or do we find ourselves stressing, having anxiety, worry about what is to come or may not come? You know, if we really had the faith in Yahweh as as Yahshua did and as Paul did. Situations like these should not and would not diminish our faith. So again, do we have faith in our Father in Heaven? Again, when those hard times come, when we are faced with trials and tribulation or relationship issues or health or whatever it is, are we able to be content are we able to have faith in our Father in heaven? You know, faith is one of those things that, again, sounds real easy. But if we're honest, having faith is not always easy. The fact is, if, again, we had faith as Joshua had, very little would bother us. Now, we also see here that we're not to lean on our own understanding. What do you, what do you suppose this means? Or this means putting more emphasis on our own abilities than having faith and assurance in our Father in heaven. Now, I know I'm guilty of doing this. I'm a big planner. That's just who I am. And I always want to find a solution to a problem. And sometimes I do that before really thinking of what would would Yahweh want me to do? Or even going to prayer and praying about it first. Because again, that's who I am. But the scripture says we're not to do that. The scripture says we're not to lean on our own understanding. The, the, The Bible says we're not to always seek out the solution. That we're to go to Him in prayer. And Believe me when I say this is some of the best ways of dealing with issues. Instead of just jumping the gun and and pursuing a course of action, take a breath and pray to Yahweh and consider how you might respond. So as we see here, one way of achieving peace is having faith in Yahweh, not jumping, and not jumping to one's own solutions. Now, one more passage here, one more way, I believe, of achieving peace in our lives, and that is casting our cares upon Yahweh. You know, we have a, a brother here who hasn't been able to join us, but he shared this with me, and to still remember it, casting our cares upon Yahweh. And matter of fact, a Brother Harold is, is who I'm referring to, and, and it's, it's stayed with me, and it's very true. You know, we need to learn to cast our cares upon Yahweh. Here's what Peter says in First Peter chapter 5, 6-7. through 7, It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of Elohim, that he may exalt you in due time. So you see, we don't exalt ourselves. So if we're trying to exalt ourselves, we're doing it in the wrong order. The Bible says to humble so that he will exalt. Goes on to say, casting all your cares upon, care upon him, for he cares for you. Or Peter opens up here by saying that we should humble ourselves. Now the word humble comes from the Greek tabino. The Thayer's Greek lexicon defines this word as to lower, to depress. Now, it says a few more things here. Get some examples. So I want to read those to you. Number one is to bring down one's pride. That is one way we humble ourselves. We, we bring down one's pride. Two is to have a modest opinion of yourself. You know, that doesn't really fit into modern psychology, not in all ways. You know, psychologists will say, you know, you've got to have this great and exalted view of who you are. Scripture says we're to be humbled. And one way of, Obtaining humility is to is to bring down one's pride and also have a modern, modest opinion of who you are. Three is to behave in an unassuming manner, and four is devoid of haughtiness. Haughtiness. Haughtiness—that's just another word for arrogance or pride. You know, I've said many times behind this pulpit, pride has no place in the life of a believer. As we see here, we're to be humbled. We're to bring down our pride and we're to look and we're to think lowly and modest of ourselves only then as we find here can Yahweh exalt us we don't exalt us Yahweh exalts us if we're doing that first we're not following the pattern and we don't when we don't follow Yahweh's pattern bad things happen now peter closes by saying that we should cast our cares upon the mighty hand of Elohim Casting our cares upon Yahweh. You know, this goes back to having faith in Yahweh, not leaning upon our own understanding. Instead of holding on to the stress and issues of life, we need to turn it over to Yahweh. And I know that sounds easy, sounds simple, but I believe it's something we should be striving to do. Let me give you some examples. You know, maybe we're suffering or someone is suffering, we know, from some sort of sickness or disease. In this situation, we need to have faith in Yahweh and be at peace with whatever happens. You know, sometimes bad things happen. Inevitably, it's not going to end well. Not in this life. We need to be okay with that. Even if what we have will end in death in this life, we need to be okay with that. Because we need to realize that there's something greater in the life to come. So whatever we're going through, if it's death or if it's some sort of sickness or disease that may even lend or end with death, we need to be okay with that. And we need to turn that over to Yahweh. And we need to also have faith that in the future we're going to receive something much much greater than any, anything we've had in this life. You know, maybe we lost our job or, you know, we're, we're uncertain of our financial future. Obviously, we want to do everything we can to find a job. I'm a big believer in that. Scriptures, too, by the way, says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So Scripture is very, very, um, very uh, positive about a hard worker. But, you know, in these moments, we also need to remember that Yahweh can and will provide. And not to allow that worry, that stress, that that, that, that anxiety, give it over to Yahweh. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, we're, we're going to do everything we can. We're going to apply for the jobs. We're going to put our resumes in. We're going to put our best clothes on. We're going to present ourselves. But there's nothing more we can do about it. Be proactive, work hard. But at the end of the day, give it over to Yahweh. Let Him worry about it. You do everything you can to achieve whatever it is you need to achieve. But give it over to Yahweh. Give that worry, give that angst, give that anxiety. Give that over to Yahweh. You know, sometimes the best way of um, doing this is how do we give it over to Yahweh? You know, what does that mean? And one of the best ways maybe explaining is it helps to visualize it. I've, I've known believers who have done this over the years. They um, visualize a box, and then they visualize taking that concern and that anxiety, that fear, and they put it in that box, and then they give that box over to Yahweh. It, it helps sometimes to, to visualize these things, to, to give it some sort of substance. Sometimes we need to, you know, no matter how we do it, though, it's important that we they give our stress, again, we give our anxiety, we give our worry over to him. You know, life is too short. Life is too short. That's one thing I've learned in life. Life is too short. Life goes by too quickly. And, you know, most of the time, and I, you know this, most of the time when we worry, when we have stress, when we have anxiety, it is inconsequential. It is trivial. At the end of the day, it does not matter. We look back at those moments and we say, why did we worry? Why did we have stress? Why were we so concerned about X, Y, and Z? Whereas human beings, we're sort of born to worry, born to have anxiety, born to fear. But as believers, we can take that fear, we can take that anxiety, and we can give it to Yahweh, and we can leave it with Him. Now, I'm not saying we don't do everything we can, again, to be successful in life and to pursue those opportunities and to be hard workers, and to be proactive. I'm big believers in all of that. But I also know that sometimes there's nothing we can do, and sometimes the stress and worry is for naught. So again, in those situations, we just need to realize that some things are inevitable. We need to let Yahweh work it out, and do what we can on our end. But again, don't allow that worry or stress to remain. You know, when we do this, and the other items we've talked about, I believe we really can have peace. But again, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I don't believe finding peace is any easier than being a person of love as we should be or having joy within our hearts as we should have. It is a very hard thing to do. It is a change in mindset. It is a change in behavior. It is a change in perspective. It is a change in how we view the world around us. This is how we achieve these things. We must have faith and we must rely on our father in heaven and again in this case again i'm going to say one more time put our concerns and give him our concerns and our worry where well, i pray that this message has been a blessing to you and i pray as believers that we would all strive to be people of peace disciples of peace and this would include having peace with our fellow man and also bringing shalom inward within ourselves and also to the assembly may i would bless you